0: Hello, world. What is up? Welcome back to The Feelings Lab. I'm your host, Matt Forte. And on today's episode, we're asking the question, are expressions innate? Now, this is one of those broader wide net topics we like to throw out there once in a while that open the door to talk about all kinds of fun stuff. Uh, but think about it. Seriously, the way you laugh when something is funny, uh, the way you sigh when you're a little tired or exhausted or, or the way you cry when, when Simba keeps pushing his dumb little paws against Mufasa going, wake up, dad. Come on, w- wake up. And he's just he's just poking him and he, if you don't cry at that scene, I'm afraid there is nothing this or any other podcast can do to help you. Anyway, the point is nobody taught you how to do those things or behave that way or feel like that. You, you just you just kind of do, right? Now, granted, anybody who's had the opportunity to watch a child grow and develop knows they are, they're always watching, right? Absorbing things. So to assume that maybe these expressions are learned is not a, a crazy out there idea, but, but how then do we account for the universal nature of some of our expressions, you know? Uh, Vision-impaired athletes have been shown to physically display pride upon victory almost the exact same way as other athletes with sight, and, and they've never had the opportunity to visually observe and learn those things. Uh, studies of remote tribes isolated from the outside world have revealed they produce similar sounds for uh, disgust, sadness, and other emotions just like we do despite the dramatic differences in our societies and cultures. Uh, innate or not, let's put that aside for a moment. Why do we produce emotional expressions in the first place? You know, previous conversations on this show would lead me to believe there's a a social imperative, a means of communicating to our tribe, a a warning if we're angry or a a call for support if we're in trouble, you know. Uh, But then why do I still laugh when I'm the only one in the room watching TV all by myself? Uh, Well, why did I scream in terror when I was cleaning out the garage the other day in this massive, like cricket spider thing with with antennas It jumped at me came out of nowhere landed right on me as i had a box of nails and i dropped that those went everywhere uh and and then i how could how could i phrase this i expressed my frustration via the utterance of an expletive which admittedly that i did learn from my father or or my grandfather and don't judge me because objectively this was a terrifying experience and to my larger point i'm fairly certain any one of you would have done almost the exact same thing um anyway rather i'm completely alone or with a group of friends or people, I emote. I have expressions. We all do. Uh, at the end of the day, well, yes, there are uh, plenty of behaviors I've learned, emotions I, I try to understand, harness, or control. There are also expressions that simply are things that have always been for me, uh, things to me that feel like they could be innate. Uh, now, you know the drill. I got a bunch of hows and whys, and I'm really excited to jump in and, and try to get some answers. I'm even more excited for some of the tangents and, and diversions we go on along the way because we've got an amazing guest joining us today. Uh, but first, Speaking of amazing people, joining me, I'm going to ask my co-host, Alan, if he knows any. Um, that, was, that, was, that was mean. I'm, I'm just mean. kidding, Alan. You, you are obviously an amazing person, and you're also here. Uh, joining me as always the, the CE host oh, with the most, that was clumsy, uh, Dr. Alan Cowan. Alan, I how are you doing, sir? You like that to one? Get, yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think we should do that every week. <laughs>
0: you, you got it, man. Hey, it's your show. You, I'll, I'll do whatever you want. Uh, so Alan, uh, thank you so much for being here. I'm excited for this one. Are you excited as well? Very excited.
1: <laughs> you sounded that's, that's as much of an emotional expression as I can muster right now. <laughs>
0: Off to a strong start, sir. All right, let's bring in our guest joining us now, associate professor in the Department of Social Psychology at the University of Amsterdam in the Netherlands. I uh, actually, that study I mentioned in the earlier bit of the intro about remote tribes having similar sounding expressions. It's one of theirs. How cool is that? Uh, their work examines emotion with a particular focus on the communication of emotions via nonverbal expressions. Uh, they're interested in how factors such as preparedness, culture, and, and what we've learned all shape our emotions and the ways that they are communicated. I couldn't invent a better person to bring on for me to potentially annoy with my endless stream of questions. <laughs> Please welcome to the show, the great Dr. Disa Souter is here. Disa, hello. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you both doing today? I, uh, I'm, oh, I'm all right. I'm not too bad. Alan, how are you? I know it's early for you.
1: I'm waking up. I'm almost there.
0: Uh, for the record, people at home,
1: <laughs> it is don't a le- me. <laughs> <laughs> they don't need to know what time it is, Matt. All right. You know what? That's
0: the first time you ever asked me to not do something. I'm going to honor that, Alan.
1: It's 1120. Uh, <laughs>
0: PM. It's sad, people. It's evening and he's, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> we're doing all right uh these, and you're coming to us uh, uh keep me honest here you're, you're all the way over in amsterdam right now is that right that is right yeah ah so cool to have you with us i really appreciate it i really do uh all right well hey let's have some fun let's jump right on in uh before we go anywhere get deep into anything alan we've talked uh, a ton on this show about vocal bursts uh in nonverbal expressions are, are are those the same when i talk about uh expressions in, in nonverbal vocal expressions now, are those the same thing as a vocal burst? Or is there a, an important distinction I should be aware of, our listeners should be aware of? Or they just help me uh, understand a little bit better there.
1: So, yeah, a vocal burst, I, I would say, are the nonverbal utterances that don't have any kind of speech content at all. And then there's nonverbal aspects of speech, too, which we call speech prosody. And those two together, I think, are like the nonverbal aspects of emotional expression in the voice. And that's how we kind of get to expression. Uh, and Disa, is he right?
0: Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: but interestingly, there are also these in between uh, kind of you know exclamations like "ouch," which mm. aren't exactly the same as other kind of speech, but also are not entirely nonverbal like laughing or crying. So there's a little bit of a continuum there.
3: Mm.
2: Um, but indeed, you have everything from speech prosody to the really raw kind of. Screams,
0: for example. Amazing. Uh, the raw screams is going to be our band name. Should we ever form one uh, for the record? So let's just mark that down. Um, well, thank you for the for the clarification, both of you. in preparing for this episode, one of the things I got really excited to talk about. Uh, and at the time, I used the word involuntary when we were doing our writing. I don't know if that was the the, the necessary uh, necessarily the right term to use, but the expressions that we uh, don't uh, uh, control in a way: uh, gasping, laughing sighing blushing crying those sorts of things that i got really excited to kind of uh talk about uh and i suppose one of the first big questions uh unless you think there's a better one alan is just why why do we produce emotional expressions what why why do we behave in this way to begin with uh and Dees, i'd love to get your perspective on that why do we produce emotional expressions what do you think
3: um
2: I would say there isn't one reason. There are lots of reasons. And so some of them are to do with communication mm-hmm. um, and others are just for individual benefits. So um, for communication purposes, we might want to signal to other people how we're feeling, how we're likely to behave, what we want from them what we don't want from them. Um, And so often emotional expressions have communicative functions. So Mm -hmm. we're trying to tell somebody something in a kind of indirect way. But sometimes um, emotional expressions can be just produced for the individual's benefit. So they're not necessarily intrinsically communicative. So when we sigh... Um, it actually has a restorative function for Mm -hmm. ourselves. So it helps kind of reset the physiological balance. And so often if you've been in a stressful situation, you will produce a sigh when that uh, stress is over. Um, Mm -hmm. Now we perceive that sigh as expressing relief, for example, but for the individual Um, It's not necessarily the case that they are sighing in order to communicate to somebody else that they're relieved. Right. It's probably just serving the function for that individual to restore the kind of physiological balance in their own body. And then as a byproduct, others can infer um, that the person might be feeling a certain way.
0: Uh, forgive me if I'm getting too lost in the weeds really early on here, but uh, I think of the image uh, of your, or like the idea of like a pressure release valve, like you let off like, like right? You exhale so in a way. Why um, it, it, is it the physical act of the air releasing from the lungs, the, the sign? Uh, because at that point, I'm like, well, if it's just the physical act of doing that, why not just exhale? Why do I literally go, oh, like why? It's, it's different than just Letting air out. There's something more to a sigh. Uh, how much do we know about that? The uniqueness of it and why it is the way it is?
2: So we know that um, we're not the only species that sigh with relief. Actually, rats also sigh when they're relieved. Mm. Um, it's a really cool uh study by some um Polish researchers who fitted these rats with. Really tiny breath belts, um, which I imagine is somebody kind of like having to yeah. deal with a breath belt. Or things, a rat. But anyway. Um, Love it. Yeah. Uh, and then they uh, conditioned these rats to basically when a, a light came on, let's say it was like a red light. Every time it came on, there would be this unpleasant and small shock. And so they came to basically expect that every time they saw the red light, there would be a shock soon. Mm. but Then there was a second light. And when that light went on after the first red light, that meant there's no shock coming. Yeah. And so they learned that the second light, if that was turned on, that meant there isn't a shock coming. Mm-hmm. And they found that the rats would sigh. They produce like a tiny little sigh of relief when the second light came on. So that was basically like... Expressing relief. Now, I would expect they're probably not doing this kind of theatrical, like "oh, phew," right? <laughs> that, that humans might do in certain social situations. But I think this is really kind of the the, the kind of foundation of the size of relief that we produce. Yeah. Um, so that's probably where it comes from. But then on top of that, it might also. Uh, be that we learn to produce more explicit uh, kind of vocalizations that also serve a communicative communicative function on top of this kind of just automatic um, behavior that yeah. is much more basic.
0: That's so uh, both fascinating and adorable. The idea <laughs> <laughs> of just like <laughs> a little <laughs> a little sigh of relief um uh so amazing uh, how many i this is a uh pretty big question but like how many types of expressions have we been able to identify and catalog uh because i for whatever reason i would equally believe if you were like a couple of dozen or a couple of thousand either of those numbers sound possible to me <laughs> so how many are we aware of right now in terms of that we've uh ide- identified
2: in terms of non vocal verbal uh, vocalization types
0: yeah if you're casting a wide net and observing someone uh, what are all the expressions you're keeping an eye out for the whole like how many is there a number like oh we're looking for over 10,000 we're looking for 40 you know
2: ha huh. that's a great question and yeah. i wish i had the answer um, there isn't like an established or accept- accepted typology Mm. of this class of behaviors. So I can't tell you, but I would be pretty confident in saying I think we're looking more like a few dozen than in the hundreds or certainly not the thousands. But what we don't really have a clear answer to yet is how many different clusters there are and to what extent are they really discrete or slightly overlapping because there aren't large-scale enough studies of naturally occurring uh, behaviors mm-hmm. um, and when you ask people to produce a vocalization it tends to be much more kind of prototypical than the kind of behaviors that people actually produce in their everyday yeah. lives when you know it's just noisier with real-world behavior
0: for sure you know it's funny when you start talking about it like uh, knowing clusters or, or trying to figure that out, I immediately uh, envisioned the emotion maps that we've talked about a million times that Alan uh, and the team over at HUMOR are, are, are quite known for. Uh, y- you know, those maps, they go well beyond the basic six, right? Uh, are, in terms of expressions, are we sitting in a similar, like on the verge of, like a similar breakthrough, you think, of um, uh, will they have their own map at some part? You are building a map.
1: Do they sit somewhere
0: on your map, Alan? We, you know, help me help me understand yeah. the distinction here
1: yeah we, we got maps <laughs> we got maps of vocalizations <laughs> you know what 's cool is that they 're not clustered in the way that words are like with words like you have you might have a couple dozen discrete words if if the vocabulary of a language was a couple dozen words, and you wouldn 't be able to take those phonetic properties of the words and combine them to form entirely new words, right, but with vocal bursts, you can you can actually blend them together and form all kinds of nuanced blended meanings. So actually, even though there's a few dozen dimensions, you could uh, imagine thousands of different vocalizations that have reliably distinct meanings. And that's what we basically map out. So, uh, and they don't form these clusters. They form these blends along many, many different dimensions.
0: It's kind of like a, uh, uh, like Bob Ross's palette, right? He's got like four colors <laughs> on there, that dude's throwing up a whole landscape. He's got it yeah. all. He's got every, every shade and every color of the wind as it were.
3: Yeah, it's uh, not unlike
0: <laughs> color, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Which is why I imagine your uh, the maps are so beautiful and colorful. That's not just a pretty cool design. It's just it's also kind of functional in a way to communicate that like, look at the way all these things kind of work together.
1: That's right. I mean, it's a big visualization issue to get people to understand, well, if, if vocalizations are so complex, um, how you explain to me what they mean. And then presenting that information is very difficult. So having colors is really helpful because you can blend them together to form new colors and actually... See visually what's going to happen when you go through that gradient, and then hear the gradient of sounds that we actually produce. Yeah,
0: I. Uh, you talk about how important uh, having the visual element is. That's a great tease. I want I want to talk a little bit more about what to do when you don't have that element. We'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, but as we're going through and just discussing all all the the different types, we say there's probably a couple of dozen. I imagine, uh, Disa, they're they're like children in that no matter what anyone says, you have a favorite uh are there some or or one in particular you've done a bulk of your research on like uh, like laughing or something like that yeah it's
2: got to be laughter
0: yeah i was hoping so it's the best one. <laughs> uh, why what made you choose laughter how'd you get uh how did that become your favorite I, I mean other than the obvious stuff but there had to be a point across words where you had to decide i'm gonna focus here and i'm just curious why there
3: um,
2: there is some really neat research on laughter in non-human primates.
3: Hmm.
2: Um, that is almost as adorable as the rat study that I talked about. So, um, they actually had baby, uh, chimps, baby gorillas, ra- baby orangutans, and baby humans. And then they tickled those. Um, and then they recorded their vocalizations and they found that there was actually a great deal of similarity in the laughs or the vocalizations of these different species, which suggests that laughter is an incredibly ancient evolutionary scene um, adaptation. Um, and so I think that, and it's also actually a, uh, the vocalization type that we see most cross-cultural consistency in. And so I think because it is so basic and so kind of undeniable in its basicness, um, it's it's really interesting for that reason. Yeah. And actually what we have found is that human babies laugh more like chimpanzees than um, like human adults, which some parents won't like hearing. But um <laughs> <laughs>
0: science oh. i uh i was reading actually i was reading something i think it was from 2018 where uh you that was about your study on this and i i didn't realize that there were people uh tickling chimpanzees as part of it um and I just, I, that i thought
2: i picked the wrong job because if i could just tickle chimpanzees <laughs> as my actual paid profession that just seems like a dream
0: that we talked i don't
2: know if this
3: was
0: before I, I don't know if this was before we started or in the intro but we talked about uh alan having a real job and uh if that's a real i mean that's the real job is the is tickling of the chimpanzees that's, uh, <laughs>
3: that's fastening but... <laughs> the breath belt on the
2: on the rats right that's that's a full day's
0: work. It really is. <laughs> what a, what a line of work to be in. Because um, one of the things I was going to ask, and now I can see uh, based on the uh, the extra information I have, that was part of the I didn't know reading that stu- reading the article that I was reading about the study. I didn't know if you guys set out to find that correlation, or if like in studying the, the baby's laughter, you guys realized they sat. Somebody was like, "Hey, do you that sounds like chimpanzees?" Like, I well, that how did it happen?
2: How it came about.
0: It is? So, okay.
2: Yeah, I was having a beer, like many important scientific conversations happen in the pub, right? <laughs> and um, and then my friend, who is also um, a co-author on this paper, uh, Mariska Kretz, said, hey, a friend of mine played me like a video of her baby laughing. And I thought that sounds a whole lot like a chimp. And so <laughs> I told her that and she was a little like, hey, you're me my baby sounds like a chimp. And then um, I was like, well, show me the video. And she did. And I was like, hey, you're right. Because one of the things that's, uh, different about human adults laughing as compared to all other primates that have been studied is that humans tend to laugh on the exhalation. So ha, 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 right? Whereas chimps and other um, primates tend to laugh both on the inhalation and the exhalation. And so what this baby was doing was laughing on both the inhalation and exhalation. And we were like, hmm, let's check whether this is like just this baby being weird or whether this is a thing that babies do. And if so, what's the kind of trajectory? Does yeah. it change at a particular time point or just change gradually over time? Or yeah. So, yeah, that was the kind of genesis of, of that study was just like somebody having a baby that sounded
0: like a chimp. That must have been <laughs> the most pleasant study of just like baby laughter and tickling chimps all day. It's <laughs> 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 not a bad space to be in. Um, yeah. And it was just, it was really interesting. So yeah, the, the piece had said that you guys found it was um, was kind of gradual. It wasn't like a switch flipped. It was one day. All of a sudden <laughs> they just started laughing like adults, which would be horrifying by the way, if one day your are in, which is like,
3: oh! <laughs>
0: <laughs> 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 thankfully it takes time. Um, there was something uh, towards the end that you said, uh, it was like one of the second to last paragraphs that I wrote down. And it was, uh, cause I always love this kind of, this thought of this looking ahead and you wrote beyond that, I'd be interested in seeing whether our findings applied to other vocalizations than laughter. Uh, and I'm just I just wanted to get a follow up. You know, it's 2018. So it hasn't been that long. It's only been a couple of years. But I'm curious, you know, have you guys has has the as the Venn diagram grown anymore or right now is the most we know it's the laughter.
2: Yeah, yeah. we haven't done it yet. But yeah, it's still on my rather long to do.
0: Yeah, <laughs> uh, we all know that story. Everybody thought the pandemic was going to help them get through their to do list. I just have the time to myself, and it was like, nope, wasn't that? Wasn't the time? Okay. Nobody with children thought that.
3: <laughs>
0: fair enough. Very fair. Very very fair. Um, Alan, uh, you know how much I love uh, whenever we bring in the the um, the animal, or in this case, the chimpanzee correlations. Uh, have you? Were you aware of the, the tickling study, the baby study, and all this stuff? Were you holding out on me?
1: I wasn't aware of that particular study, but um, <laughs> um, I'm aware that uh, chimps laugh. And there's also been similar studies that go back even further, even as like the 1980s of, of mouse laughter. But I'm actually kind of curious. So, mice also get tickled by experimenters. There are experimenters whose job is to tickle mice. And um, they they form these laughs that you can't hear unless you lower the frequencies because they're actually ultrasonic frequencies of laughter. But then they sound kind of like human laughs. So I'm curious if, Disa, if you looked into this, do the mice laugh when they're inhaling and exhaling or just when they're exhaling? <laughs> That's
3: a great
2: question. I don't know, but I think I could email Brian Litson and ask because this would be like an opportunity to combine the breath belts and the tickling. So right. you can bring it together all. We're of.
0: bringing it all together.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: you know, um, we, but, we have a lot of laughs here on the feelings lab, but we're doing important work. I like to believe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but well, also, what's, say,
1: what's cool about, that, uh, about those studies as well is that they don't just measure the mice when they're being tickled, but also when they're playing, non contact play. They form the same vocalizations. And so it's not just a primitive tickle response. It also is a play response, even going back to mice. Mice are kind of like, a, like if primates are our first evolutionary cousins, if apes are our like evolutionary siblings, mice are like our second cousins. Rodents are like closer, more closely related to us than dogs or horses and stuff. Yeah. And. Yeah. So any, you and any rat for, on the streets of New York literally share an ancestor, right? Like a few million year, generations back. And your nearest ancestor that you share with a dog is like like twice that far, right? So, huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so But I
0: do share an ancestor
1: <laughs> with a dog is what you're saying. You share an ancestor with every animal... <laughs> on earth you know, the animal kingdom yes yeah. what
0: a beautiful thought and by Did that you measure we're related alan
1: we're all one big happy <laughs> to, i mean we're much more closely related but anyway let's go <laughs> i don't know we can do a genetic test for that but
0: uh, <laughs> yeah i'll see um, you at thanksgiving buddy <laughs>
1: but uh you know what struck me about the the laugh respiratory belt on the mice i think that's really yeah. cool there's other vocalizations that mice form so there's Really cool vocalizations mice form when you trap them in a small chamber and then you introduce another mouse who can unlock the chamber. Um, you can actually hear the mouse who's trapped form distress vocalizations and they sound like yeah. squeaks. They're squeaky distress vocal, like you can tell. Um, and when you uh, make the chamber so that it is actually uh, soundproof, so the distress vocalizations can't get out, the other mouse doesn't help. They don't even know that this mouse is in trouble. Uh, <laughs> when you play distress vocalizations through a speaker <laughs> that's outside yeah. of the chamber, then the mouse helps. Uh, and so, these are definitely distress... They're, they're social signals, in other words. They're not just these involuntary things. Um, and so, I wonder if it's the similar thing with the relief vocalization too. Um, and so, these are these are questions that I don't think are fully answered, but, but it is true that they're not just involuntary sounds. They're not just functional sounds. Oh, we lost math. Oh. oh,
0: did I pop? I popped out, but I popped back. Is that you're what back,
1: happened? You pop back. You're back. <laughs> uh, and so,
0: keep going, keep going. For, don't worry about me. Just keep going. Finish your thought and then we'll figure this out.
1: The <laughs> evolutionary roots of so, the social signaling function of expressions go back pretty far. That was you. That was you. you stuck the landing. Did that you was, we were, I think where I was going. I'm not sure if that was where I was where I started, but
0: well, thank you for that, Alan. You know, and I hate to. Uh, I always do this where you will say something very intelligent and very insightful, and then I latch on to one silly little bit, uh, and that's what I bring back up. So I apologize, audience. Uh, you mentioned pitching down the laughter, and I believe we've talked about this on the show before. And, and it sounds almost like human. I'm reminded of. I don't know if anyone else has ever done this. Uh, the Chipmunks, out in the Chipmunks Christmas songs, if you have the record and you play it at a slower speed, it's actually just three monotone guys, adult <laughs> men, just Christmas, Christmas ta, And that's what I think of with the mouse thing. Is that what they did, essentially? They just pitched it yes. down and... In-
1: no yeah. way. I mean, we can't hear beyond like 20,000 hertz. Like uh, there's ultrasonic frequencies. We just can't hear that mice, you know, they can hear up to way beyond that. Um, and that's true of many species. So, yeah, you're literally just pitching it down, you can hear a lot more of what the social signaling that's, that's happening so cool. is going on. Yeah.
0: That's so cool. And again, if we, I think we've covered this before, so I apologize for the repeat, but I'm equally fascinated now as I, I might've been the first time I heard it. <laughs> um, all right, let's keep, I keep on, I want to keep going on laughter for a second though. Uh, Cause one of the things I was really interested, we've talked about just how there's so many different emotions. There's a spectrum. There's so many different expressions. There's a spectrum and they can all mix and blend together. And now here we are, we're going even further. And we're talking about laughter. There's, well, you laugh on the inhale, you laugh on the exhale. There's, there's giggling. There's all these different types of ways people laugh. I've known uh, a couple of people with awful laughs. Just, just the terror. And I don't, we don't speak anymore. And that's by design. Um, what informs the way that someone laughs? Do we know anything about that? Is there a significance to the rhythm and pitch? Have we been able to get ultra granular and, and identify a spectrum of laughter yet?
3: there have been some
0: attempts i
2: mean yeah. the physiology
0: is going to be a major
2: determinant just like your you know the size of your vocal tracts and your lung lung volume and stuff like that is going to shape your laugh like if you think about how a kid laughs it's not just that they're laughing on the inhale and exhale it's also their pitch is higher so it sounds different you can tell that it's child yeah. laughing um there's some evidence that culture shapes laughter but the effects are pretty small. So mm-hmm. people can basically just above chance level tell if a laugh is from somebody from their own group or another group, but they can't really say much more than that. So you can't say, you know, is this guy from Jamaica or Florida or Namibia or Amsterdam, but you can say, is it somebody from my group or not? But that's about That's about as sophisticated as we can get with those kinds of judgments. So that suggests that culture does play a a bit of a role in shaping our laughter, but not a very major one. And that's probably because of this very strong kind of bottom-up, involuntary, um, you know,
3: rat (laughs) aspect of the laughs.
0: Do we know if we can identify there of my group, is it a a familiarity with that individual's laugh? Like, Oh, that's Steve. Steve's of my group. Or is it literally, that's a person who's from my circle. That's how we all laugh.
2: Yeah. So you don't need to know the person. Um, It can be just like a total stranger, but it's an American stranger. You can tell from, it's just Mm. from somewhere else, but for sure with people, you know, you are much more sensitive um, to, yeah, you know, you can really detect some very fine distinctions of like, oh, I don't think he really thought it was funny, but he really wants to communicate to the other person that he thought so, you know, with your partner or like right. siblings, you can really tell uh, at a level of uh, sophistication that you have no chance with if
0: the more happens. the more familiar you are with the person the more you can sort of read their book as it were and yeah. understand like okay that's a polite laugh yeah you didn't think that was funny but exactly. thank you I appreciate that kind of thing
2: <laughs> but also what's interesting with you talking about an individual is that actually from laughter, and other nonverbal vocalizations it's really difficult to identify people as compared to a speech segment so if it is a person you know really well of course you know you can pick out that person's laugh uh, easily but with like people you don't really know if i gave you like a, an identity learning task with 20 new people the time you would take to pick them apart just based on their laughs would be so much longer yeah. Then if you had them saying any random piece of speech, that is much more diagnostic for identity than vocalizations like laughter, which is probably because a lot of how we laugh is more similar to each other than how we talk.
0: Wow. So fascinating. Um, well, I, I purposely I chose the term spectrum. Uh, of laughter. And I, you know, and I, I phrased it that way, because I'm always excited when we explore th- this sort of this nuance, you know, you think we we have a, a total understanding of something, and then you pick it up. And it's like, there's a whole universe under here. Um, and uh, one of the areas, I know the particular interest for you uh, is positive emotions, and more specifically, the the kind of breadth and depth of, of, of positive emotions. And the funny thing is, I tried to think of a few myself. And I realized I, I was just listing synonyms for happy, I was like, oh, content, Pleasant, satisfied. I was like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. So I figured I'd defer to the experts here. Um, what are some of the, the different kinds of, uh, of positive, effective states that, that, you, that you focus on, identify, and sort of grouped and, and assembled there?
2: So we talked already about relief and yeah. amusement, right? Um, in terms of other states that are really distinct from each other, I would also pick out gratitude, for example. Um, then you could think about, um, more difficult positive emotions or less intuitive for people from a given cultural background. So I, I had a, a Chinese postdoc who insisted that feeling respected was a discrete positive emotion state. And hmm. it, we kept going back and forth and back and forth because to me, this was not really A positive emotion, being respected based on your position, isn't in my cultural framework something that I would want, right? You want to be respected because of some fundamental interpersonal respect between all people or because of your accomplishments, but not because of your role. But she convinced me that it is so essential and so positive in her culture that she comes from that we had to include it in our list of positive emotions. Um, But then there are other positive emotions like excitement, uh, elevation. um, Interest is another good one. Um, Yeah, I could go on.
0: I love that. (laughs) Uh, Alan, did you guys uh, ever run into something like that as well? We've talked about. Uh, in creating the, the the emotion maps and all that store stuff, uh, accounting for cultural differences and, and 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 you know the way things happen uh, on the other side of the world versus here and so on and so forth, were there debates of like, well, th- does that doesn't make sense to include that here? We have to put that uh, over on this side instead. It, it had to have been stuff like that when you guys were putting things together.
1: Yeah, so it, it happens first when you're translating the terms. It's like, yeah. oh, like how do you how exactly do you translate this? And typically, there will be some. A single word that's like, this is the most direct translation, but it doesn't have quite the same meaning. So sometimes you want to add another word, make it like a phrase. um, And that usually two or three words, you can find an experience description that is similar enough. So we, for example, we gathered a bunch of ratings of videos. So, like, what are the emotions evoked by videos in the US and Japan and in Europe? And across all of those three, there were 21 different dimensions Mm. um, that combine different words. That were preserved really, really well across the cultures. Um, and so notably, there, you know, some of the dimensions didn't have like a, a one term that you could take and directly translate. I think it was uh, like, awe was one of them. So yeah, That's in terms, a big of, one. Other, <laughs> in terms yeah. of other, in terms of other, positive emotions, we have in there pride, awe, admiration, sexual desire, uh, love. Um, so like lots of different, there's, there's a lot more we can add to that list is probably like 15 or so. That, uh, I, I love,
0: I love that you, uh, you thought of sexual desire first and then went, yeah, I guess love too. Uh,
1: <laughs> they are, they, you know, people say they're distinct and they are,
0: <laughs> they are. I just, I really appreciate the order in which your brain recalled them. I just,
1: uh, <laughs> well, I guess the bigger question is like within love, there could be romance, um, that you feel toward, uh, romantic. Partner, and then there's also adoration, um, which, and then there's familial love, and there's you know there's lots of different types of love, and you can break down laughter into different kinds of laugh, uh, different kinds of amusement too. Um, Also, laughter occurs for other things like adoration, yeah. Um, But you can have um, sort of a a more gleeful or joyful amusement. You can have sort of a more um, contemptuous amusement, or or a triumphant amusement, Um, and we people at least in the US use these things reliably. There's there's reliable laughs that are associated with these things like squeal, like a like kind of a squealing laugh is more of an adoration thing. Anyway, I could go on for a long time. So there's a lot of different breakdowns within um, the positive emotions. But in terms of cultural differences, um, we see at least 21 dimensions that are shared across pretty much every culture we've looked at and experience. And then a lot of those are shared um, in expression as well. Um, there's that that's just in response to videos, um, yeah. and probably more. That's like a lower limit, um, I would say.
0: So, like twenty-one, give or take, the universal, and then within there, we've said that laughter is, is like the one that's the most sort of universal that we found. Is that am, am I accurate in in my assessment there?
1: Amusement's always like yeah, one of the yeah. laughter associations with amusement are probably the most reliable um, of any vocalization, positive or negative. I would totally agree with that
0: yeah yeah amazing uh we we talk about all these different spectrums laugh spectrum of uh, positive effective states and we're touching on uh particularly here just how culture impacts it and, and can and change it and morph it you know did we and i know this might be impossible to answer because i'm really it's we have to look it's historical data it's what we've recorded and what we've observed over the years but you know Uh, did we start with like two and then culture and community uh, promoted the creation of more over time? Uh, or, you know, cause I know like we started just with the six basic emotions and now here we are, you know, not too many years later. So like, if we look back and and far back, (laughs) is it just some, have we always been this way? I guess, or has the, just the evolution of our species and the growth of our population, has it yielded new, unique things that we're discovering now? Um, so I do we to... started
2: with six emotions, either. Yeah. That's just, like, emotion science started. Right, <laughs> so right. right. The question between what are the systems that we as humans have and how did they evolve over time versus at what uh, pace are we discovering or like what's the order in which we are discovering or, you know, mapping them out.
1: yeah. Yeah, and uh, you know it's hard to say how many. So there's there's different ways we can look at it, right? We can look at our evolutionary cousins. You can look at like primates and mice and what's preserved there, and that's a little bit difficult, right? Because you don't know what a vocalization means for a primate, and that's yeah, what it, yeah. Sometimes you do, but then <laughs> and when you move away, at least from um from vocalization, and you move to facial expression and bodily expression, there are ways. though so that I think the earliest comparisons uh, that we can make are between um, representations of expressions in ancient uh, old world art versus new worlds, or what is should, should misnomer a little bit because it's not new for the people in the world. <laughs> like, uh, in ancient American uh, sculptures, before there was any contact between Europe and America, we see a lot of parallels in how different contexts are associated with different expressions, and so there's these really there's a rich sculptural tradition. By the way, like four thousand years ago, most people in the world lived in um, ancient American civilizations, Mocha civilization, Aztec civilization, later and Inca. Anyway, so we, there's this whole uh, rich tradition of sculpture that stretches across many of those civilizations, um, and they're depicting things like torture and people playing music through instruments, which. Look similar to European instruments somewhere. There's drums and stuff. Um, there's people holding weapons who are, you know, dressed in armor. There's people lifting heavy things. There's like uh, mothers holding babies in these sculptures and they're forming facial expressions a lot of the time. Mm. And so we actually did a study where we looked at those facial expressions and just tried to see are they similar to what we would expect awesome. if the associations between context and expression were similar to what we have now. And there were at least a few that we could pick up. So torture and pain expressions very reliable. Mm-hmm. Um, so the pain expression, you know, clearly is not a recent thing. Um, weapons and uh, anger—that was something that came out pretty reliable association. Uh, mothers holding babies and uh, expressing joy, smiling. That's something that was very That's reliable in these sculptures. Yeah, yeah. Um, plus you see in an ancient. For example, Egyptian paintings um, and in descriptions of Aztec culture from like the first um, ethnographers uh, who wrote like the Florentine Codex, uh, which was the first ethnography of Aztec culture um, by conquerors, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> but um, in these depictions, there's people crying in, in funerals um, yeah. at, in ancient Egypt, and it, it looks so similar in um the depictions of the aztec rituals of crying at funerals wow. uh so crying seems to be also something that is very ancient not not yeah. recent at all
0: yeah so i want to get into crying in a little bit we've done a lot about laughter i want to talk a little bit about that but there is thank you for that. There's <laughs> something i ask a question like that because i don't know if, if this is unique to me or not but i do find some uh some sort of a weird comfort uh in in knowing that this is we're still learning about how we work. We constantly are, and we're we're growing our knowledge. But ultimately, this is what it is to be human. You know, there's we're going to learn more about what it means and how it works. But we've we've been doing this for a while, and there's there's a there's a piece in that that I I find that I enjoy. Uh, whenever I'm feeling the most extreme of an of an emotion, whether it's you know shock or grief or sad or whatever, I always think, well, I'm certainly not the first to experience this. And, uh, there, there is enough, I will find a way through it. People have been doing it for billions of years, so um, that's really cool. And, and, and I really, I really always uh, not billions. That. Though.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, billions of millions of people for millions of years. Yeah, yeah, is no, what right. Right. I meant.
3: Sorry,
0: we've been around for millions, right? We have been around for millions. Yeah, um, I met billions of people for millions. of um, years.
1: Hominids have, but actually, human. Yeah, well, Alan,
0: you them. should know me to, well <laughs> enough. I'm talking about hominids at this point.
1: You know that about me? I, of course, <laughs> I know. Of course, yes. <laughs> How insulting! So. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I promised I wouldn't embarrass you on this episode, Matt, and I've already violated that. That's not
0: a bad, so who, okay. who am I impressing? This is fine. I'm sure Disa has not lost that much respect for me, right? We can still talk. Can still- oh, okay. No, she's she's disconnected. If you're just listening, she's gone. I I her to leave. <laughs> All right, hey, let's get it. Let's get into crying as I uh, as I weep with embarrassment here. Um, (laughs) well, I've always, I've always thought of laughter as like the sequel to crying in that like a hundred percent of the babies I've seen born, uh, mostly on TV. Well, no, only on TV. Who who am I kidding? Um, (laughs) I've only (laughs) seen babies born on TV and in movies, but every time, uh, they've been crying. And as you know, as as I thought through this, Mm -hmm. I I don't know of any example where one of them was born laughing. And frankly, I can't imagine a more unsettling idea. So, uh, uh, but to go back to the big question uh, at the top of the episode, are expressions innate? Uh, I think on crying, there's very little room for debate here, right? We come out doing it immediately. For a majority of us, it is literally the absolute first thing we do upon arrival. Um, w- but, you know, so I, I guess that kind of answers the question. Expressions are innate, right? Cry- Why is crying the first thing we do? Do we know that? So crying in English has, I believe,
2: two at least meanings, right? So it's both the the kind of tears that come out of your eyes, as well as especially when referring to kids, it's basically screaming that they're doing. So I have had two children, so I've seen two very, very newborn babies, and they both screamed, but they didn't. Cry with tears. But in English, it's kind of confusing because we use the same term to refer
0: to both of those things. So, are you after screaming or the teary thing? That's a great question and an important distinction I was ignorant of. Um, do we refer to it as crying so we don't say, my baby's screaming? Is that like a, a, a cultural thing <laughs> that we just use softer language? Because if it's not a proper cry, uh then yeah it's a, it I guess that's different. At what point do the teary things start? Ooh. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know that. Is, is that, that, really is that like the laughter where like it changes gradually over time? Do we think? No.
2: I don't think that there are necessarily different ways to cry if we're referring to the the tear uh Yeah. Thing. Let's um, start there. Not at least there, there haven't been any types established in the literature, as far as I know. But there are mm-hmm. very strong so-called display rules around crying that kick in um, already in childhood, um, and those are gendered, right? So they're much stronger display rules. So these are norms about what kind of expressions we can uh, show to whom and in what situations. So we, we, it's kind of socially accepted to be. Um more expressive to people close to us and also in private as compared to in public. Um, and interestingly, generally, the um, display rules are much looser for positive emotions. So it's fine to show that you're happy, but it's less socially acceptable to show that you're angry or sad. But we found that being moved is associated with strong display rules compared to a whole bunch of other positive emotions. So being moved often involves tears. Um, You're kind of looking, in a way, pretty uh, vulnerable when you're moved by something. Um, And so apparently that's not a feeling that's really appropriate in all contexts to really show, unlike many other types of positive emotions, which are basically fine, with the exception also of pride, which depending on the circumstances, could be kind of perceived as boastful to um, hmm. express, especially in some cultures.
0: We, we talk about the social uh, circumstances wherein it's appropriate to uh, express uh, at these levels. Do we know anything about the mechanics behind what makes an expression either easier or more challenging to control? Like with some, like for, in certain circumstances, laughter is impossible to contain, yeah. uh, or the expression "fighting back tears" comes to mind. You know, uh, what, what do we know about that?
2: Um, there is some research de- suggesting that the voice is generally harder to control than the face, so okay. we are reasonably developed in in masking, and um, so not necessarily suppressing. Um, The expression that we might be producing automatically, but we can kind of then put a smile on top of it, as it were. But with the voice, we've all heard like people who are very nervous have this kind of quivering on Mm -hmm. their, on their, uh, in their speech. And so the best thing you can do if you are worried that your voice will betray you is basically to be quiet because there's, it's very challenging to actually mask that, um, especially anxiety. In, in the voice. Yes. yeah. So, so modality is one thing that determines how easy or hard it is to, um, modulate our emotional expressions.
0: So interesting. Um, and, and some people are just better at doing that. And, and is that, you know, does that mean there, we, I think society has labeled them sometimes like, Oh, he's strong. He, he can really, he's, <laughs> he's keeping it together. And I look at, it, I'm like, he's broken. That dude is not Ooh, engaged yeah, right. with <laughs> his emotions. Like, dude, you got to let that stuff out. Uh, But it's just, I I suppose that's more of like a cultural thing of how we perceive that behavior um, than sort of a mechanical thing. Uh, I've been trying to keep track of time and be cognizant of everybody's schedule. I have a a trillion things that I I, I wanted to get to today. But one of the things that I was really fascinated about, and I teased a little bit earlier in the uh, episode, um, was uh, uh, we mentioned the the importance of having all those colors and the visual component, um and 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 so, you know, I, in writing for this episode, I brought up to to Alan. I said, "What happens when a person, you know, vision impaired or hearing impaired lacks the senses necessary to to observe or learn a behavior by the traditional means?" And Disa, I believe you actually keep me honest here. You've done a study on the emotional vocalization of deaf people, if that's right. Uh, and i just love to know what, what you found or any stories from that experience, because I'm so curious about uh, how how they navigate the world and, and all these things that we talk about and the things that I take for granted, uh, vision and sight being those things. Yeah,
2: I came to this idea when I was a PhD, I, a PhD student, and then I was uh, talking to this woman who uh, was a sign language researcher, and I, I was telling her about my research project on emotional vocalizations. And I said, you know, because everybody laughs the same, even deaf people laugh the same. And she looked at me and was like, are you sure about that? And I was like, well, <laughs> um, maybe I should not have said that.
3: That's okay. Yeah.
2: Maybe I should. So then uh, a few years later, I uh, started working at the Max Planck Institute uh, in Nijmegen. And um, I had a very delightful boss there, Steve Levinson, who said, okay, what do you want to do? What are you interested in? What, what do you want to test? And I was like, well, I have this idea with deaf people because I'm curious what kind of vocalizations do they make? Yeah. Um, and are they kind of similar to the vocalizations of hearing people? Because that seems to me like a way to get at this innateness question because they, it's a kind of natural deprivation uh, situation, right? They don't have access to the um, auditory learning that the rest of us do. Um And he's like, great, do it. And so <laughs> I did it. And then it turns out that people who are born um, profoundly deaf on both ears are hard to find and generally not very keen to vocalize mm. um, while being recorded, understandably, because many of yeah. them have been told their whole life that their speech sounds weird. Um, and, you know, there's a whole backstory there. But we did manage to sure. find a bunch of people with... um a collaborator, um, and a deaf, um, assistant who, um, basically found a bunch of congenitally bilaterally deaf people who vocalized a bunch of different emotional states. And then we played those two hearing listeners and we just asked them, what emotion do you think this person is expressing? And what we found was that for most of the emotions that we studied, um, they were recognizable to hearing listeners from the deaf vocalizations. So, you know, it's, but they were not as recognizable as hearing people's vocalizations. Yeah. So I think this is kind of where it becomes a very nuanced conclusion. It's not, are they innate or learned? Um, Innateness, by the way, is like a whole mess of the construct, even worse than emotion, arguably. There's actually a paper that discusses 26 different definitions of innateness. Um, So basically, there is, I believe, uh, evidence for innateness in these vocalizations, because we, even without ever having heard anybody else's emotional vocalizations or heard your own vocalizations, Deaf people do produce vocalizations that are recognizable as communicating specific emotions, but they're not as clear to hearing listeners as hearing people's vocalizations, suggesting that learning does help to shape um, the way that our vocalizations then sound. Hmm.
3: I
0: love it. Well, first of all, in my defense, Alan chose the title.
1: Uh, <laughs> I like to be provocative. <laughs> you
0: do, sir. Uh, but second of all, once again, we come back to this. Uh, there is no black and white. It is very nuanced. Yes. Depending on your definition of innate, some things are, uh, but not necessarily. And I, I love that. I love that there is no definitive answer. And I love that we can talk about what the answer may or may not be. Uh, one, one last follow up on that. Cause I was just wondering um you know, how was there did you ever pull from that study or from that experience any information in terms of uh, of how they know somebody else's emotional state? Uh, because uh, like we were saying earlier, I can detect a polite laugh versus a, a an a, you know a, a, a true laugh. Uh, for them, are they reliant on the other person volunteering the information or have they, Uh, Just in their experience, develop their own approach or ways? Are are they more tuned in to all the other data that humans are presenting when they're trying to understand someone's emotional state? Like, how does it work?
2: I think that is always the case that you use information that is available to you. And so, for sure, you're going to be relying on visual information, contextual information, verbal information, if you can lip read, for example. Um, And clearly, people were born uh, profoundly deaf are fine Mm -hmm. in terms of social interaction. So they are capable of using a wide range of social cues in a way that that seems to be beneficial um, for social interaction. So indeed, it's kind of fascinating that even though you can cut out an entire sense, um, it seems like for social functioning, there's so much redundancy in the system um, that it doesn't really cause major impairment, unlike something like speech, which, if you don't hear, is incredibly difficult to learn to produce spoken language um, in a way that is understandable to hearing people.
0: Ah, there's so much we're still figuring out. Well, at least there's so much I'm still learning. Uh, <laughs> all right, we got to wrap things up. Uh, we're in the home stretch, Alan. You know what that means. I love looking ahead. At the end, I love uh, <laughs> an optimistic eye on the horizon. Disa, uh, what what is something uh, you're really excited about in the next five, let's say five ten years in your area of study? You think it could be groundbreaking? It open up some doors. Something something that you're excited uh, to come uh, come along and come down the pipe here. What, give us some hope. <laughs>
2: I think uh, a major development is the shift towards looking at um, naturally occurring everyday uh, nonverbal expressions. So for a long time, literally for decades, researchers have been relying mainly on um, posed expressions, artificially kind of uh, produced expressions. I've done that too in my own research. But um, more and more we're getting into the kind of messy and complex real world situations, which both kind of metaphorically and literally are noisy, which is uh, a challenge when you work with audio, of course. But I think that's a really important uh, development that introduces a lot of um, new challenges, but I, I think it's getting us closer to understanding the things we actually want to know. And I also think more and more uh, people are getting interested in connecting this very fundamental research with real world questions um, mm. to do with intergroup relationships or polarization in the political space or climate change. And so how can we connect what we know about how emotions work and how emotional expressions work with these pressing kind of societal
0: um, problems? Oh, I love that. Alan, I thank you for that. Alan, I always ask you to dream up some like big AI tech <laughs> development thing. I, I I it just occurred to me on our podcast about emotions. I, I never I don't know that I've asked you uh point blank about uh your excitement for the field of emotion science. Uh, you know, what when you look five, ten years ahead. What, what are you excited about in, in that area what that's coming this way?
1: I mean, I have to agree with Disa. I think that looking at the real world is really the That should be the gold standard is that can you predict what's going to happen in uh, real interactions when somebody forms an expression and what what it means to them and what it means to the other person and how it um, is the kind of foundation of a relationship that's ongoing. And you can't really look at those things unless you have, you know, wide data, like lots of people. Um, lots of examples and longitudinal data. And um, you can't easily code that data without having automated methods. So if you were yeah. to, like, we did this study with facial expressions, 6 million videos on YouTube, where we looked at how facial expressions relate to contexts. I would love to do something similar with vocal expressions. In fact, we're um, getting close to working on that. And we have the automated tools now to actually recognize vocal expressions. And not only whether somebody is... Forming a laugh or giggle, chuckle, and different subdivisions of laughter, but also, um, you know, what are the kind of more continuous dimensions of that? Um, And we represent those in terms of uh, the emotional associations people tend to have, but really they're just objective measures of the acoustic signal and how they can be embedded in a space that has these really nuanced emotional associations that are reliable. And so taking all of those measures of, of, of vocalizations and applying them at a large scale, I think is going to give us a lot of insight into how vocalizations actually function in, in the real world, which sure. I think that's going to be really exciting.
0: That sounds super exciting. Uh, as much as it pains me to say it, this is it. I got to wrap it up. Uh, Dr. Satter, thank you so much again. Uh, you've been incredibly generous with your time and it's just been absolutely fantastic to have you on the show. Thank you so much for doing this. Did you have a good time with us? I hope. It was delightful. Thank you. Oh, that that was a polite response. Thank you for that. Uh, <laughs> Alan, uh, thanks for being here and making this whole thing possible, man, and, and being equally generous with your time as well, sir. I know you're super busy, and so... I love that we still get to do these and find the time for it. Thanks, Alan, for
1: being Of course. Here. No, this is the best thing I do.
3: <laughs>
0: uh, I, 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 that was a very polite response. <laughs> <All right.
3: laughs>
0: so you two have been generous with your time. For those listening, let's be honest. Uh, you're you're probably like walking or on a train or doing laundry or something. So it's hard for me to say you've been as generous with your time as Alan and Thesa here, but you are listening. And, and though I may not sound like it, I appreciate that more than you'll ever know. So thank you, uh, uh, loyal listeners and fans out there. If you happen to have... Uh, a question or a thought worth sharing please send it this way even if it's not worth sharing just send it uh, you can email us at thefeelingslab at hume.ai that's t-h-e-f-e-e-l-i-n-g-s-l-a-b at h-u-m-e dot a-i and if it's good and sometimes they are then I might just get Alan to read it on the air how about that alright uh, that's going to do it for now farewell from all of us here at the Feelings Lab I'm Matt Forte thanks again everybody and please stay safe out there